I'm Christian Easterday, the CEO and Managing Director of Hot Chili, one of the world's most advanced copper developers and one of the largest scale copper developers uh, bringing through what will be one of the next major copper mines to come to production by the end of this decade. Christian, good to see you. Welcome, to see you, welcome to the US. Yeah, Mark, yeah. I'm a local. I think we're both both foreigners. Hey, um, you're at the conference. Uh, you're one of the few smiling faces here. Things are going well. Share price is going well. What are you telling people? Well, as you as you said, you know, at a conference like this where it's generally gold dominated, huh. uh, it's interesting for a large copper developer to be here. And uh, by the the look of our schedule of meetings, we've been right off our feet every day. So um, certainly a lot of interest in copper. And, uh, and where that thematic is going. From who? Look, we, we have a broad cross-section of meetings um, from corporates to private equity to family office funds to institutions uh, and to, uh, to private investors. But um, interestingly, also from trading groups and royalty houses, um, royalty houses also being very interesting considering the recent transaction. Well, well, well I bet, but that, you know, I, I hope you're not having meetings with nosy people. I hope you're having meetings with, you know, people who are going to be productive for you. Because obviously you've got the, the kind of Glencore component. You've got a Cisco in there now. It's starting to look quite professional. Um, others are just trying to get a, a sense of what you're about or are they trying to get in? Or what, what's the point of the I conversation? Think, I think a lot of the crowd are really starting to assess a, a very elite class of projects. There's only five or six available at this scale coming to production by the end of this decade outside of the majors. So that, that really represents... Um, an information gathering exercise for a lot of the investment community looking to position for probably the next commodity that uh, that looks like it's got the ingredients for a significant re-rate. Lord Copper, right? 380, I think, Correct. today. Not that I look every day. Um, so let's talk about the kind of growth component. How do you kind of keep that momentum going? Yeah, I mean, you know, I hear a lot uh, when I'm in North America about the Lausanne curve and the context to investment in this cycle and the cycle of any explorer to developer to producer and and, uh, and where you want to be. So you know, we're well aware of that. Um, fortunately, we're going through a growth phase at the moment, uh, trying to upscale our uh, very large project at 100,000 tonnes per annum copper production profile towards a 150,000 tonne per annum uh, target. And so that means we have drill rigs going, an active 30,000 metre drill program, very active on the acquisition front and continuing with our consolidation efforts and, yeah, and enjoying uh, some interesting conversations with uh, with other players on regional synergies. Yeah, it's funny, it sounds like this, like gold companies all sort of for copper, don't they? It would appear so, yes. Yeah, standard issue, standard issue. Uh, have you been having conversations with those sorts of corporates as well? Yeah, yes, certainly, and I think that there is a growing trend from some of the gold majors in the world to uh, look to expose themselves to to copper. Uh, I think that that will be the story of the coming five years, uh, and and certainly I think that the copper the gold majors are really looking for for uh, how they can uh, expose their future revenue base to copper. Right, and, is that, is that... and I think some of the leaders in Barrick and Newmont are being very overt um, through yeah. their acquisition activity and their statements. So it means that the rest of the pipeline of major gold producers are also having to take notice and therefore um, build up their knowledge of what's available in the sector. Right. So even they have to diversify their portfolio. Yeah, right. Correct. Lesson for everyone there. Um, let, can we talk talk about some of the, I, I guess, the 
problem areas when you're building a business like this. So making sure the balance sheet is good. You're sitting on how much cash at the moment? That's pretty good, right? 24 Australian. Right. So you've got some options there in terms of how you can phase that and apply that. And in fact, another question is just remind us of the kind of the study numbers so we get a sense of where you are today and where you're heading. Sure. Um, well, as, as you know, eight weeks ago, we put out a, a fairly um, important document. It was, a, it was a preliminary economic assessment or a scoping study in Australia. Yeah, so uh, what was very, very different to any other PEI or scoping was the level of detail in it. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a study that had to go through rigorous uh, scrutiny and, and work by our partners and shareholder at Glencore. Obviously, a huge amount of experience there. Uh, but not only that, it was based on an 80% completed pre-feasibility. So the numbers are very hard um, and based on you know, very conservative long-term consensus forecast pricing and appropriate discount levels. You know, We're not a company that goes out and puts our economics out at $8 per pound copper. If we were doing that, we'd be approaching you know, nearly $10 billion in PV post-tax. Um, but we put out Reasonable numbers based on 385 per pound copper, um, 8% discount rates. And what came out of the study was a 16-year mine life producing 95,000 tonnes per annum of copper production, 50,000 ounces of gold. So that's very meaningful. There's only five or six projects capable of that outside of the majors um, in the world, world at the moment. But most importantly, the low elevation aspect of the project and the fact that our ore bodies can be processed with salt water have now finally given us the lowest capital intensity number in the in the development pipeline. We have a billion dollar project to build that should be about a two billion dollar US project to build, um, and that's a huge um, strategic advantage in what we're doing. Right. Okay. Actually, one of the one of the little numbers that you put in the presentation, I'm sure I quite liked. It was, um, but the NPV rises 100 million for every 10 cents that the copper price moves above 385. I think it was something like that. Um, looking out to the demand numbers and what is not coming from the supply side is interesting times ahead for you, yeah. you know, for, for sure. Exactly, Matt. And you've touched on pretty much the heart of the, the, the center of our strategy at Hot Chili. Right now, we are the largest copper play or copper equity in the Australian market. We have lost Oz Minerals. We're about to lose Newcrest. We have BHP Billiton. Um, and the Australian market has now the largest producer, which will be Sandfire, at around 85,000 tonnes per annum of copper production. Uh, it's a long way down until you get to 29 metals and then the very small players in the copper sector. And, and Hot Chili is the only company holding a, a project capable of 100,000 tonne per annum copper supply. So we have a major exposure to the copper price. And as you said, uh, whether it's a 10 cent lift in copper price above 385 or as we say in our in our uh, deck a uh, 50% lift in copper price triples NPV uh, brings the post tax NPV to 3.3 billion US you convert that to Australian you apply a 0.25 multiple on that post tax NPV and you come up with an $11 share price for hot chili a 50% increase in the copper price is something that is probably in time going to be considered a very conservative statement. So we look at our business in the context of the cycle and in the context of the other commodities that are re-rated dramatically when um, inelastic qualities um, where you have very little supply, long lead times, large capex projects uh, in a sector such as iron ore or lithium meets a demand shift. And what we see in copper is what we've seen in iron ore and what we've seen in lithium. 
Um, you can invest, could have invested in any lithium stock and made 10 times your money because the commodity price went 10 times. Or you could have invested in the largest lithium stock with the largest resource and the largest potential lithium production, i.e. a Pilbara Minerals, and you could have made 45, 50 times. Or in Iron Ore's case, an Andrew Forrest and FMG. Not the best grade, but the largest exposure. So therefore the largest leverage equation, not a 10 times multiple, um, a 186 times multiple. That is the strategy that we are applying at Hot Chili, and that is what is behind our growth pivot at the moment. Right. To do that, you're going to have to get it over the line, get those pounds out of the ground. Okay, so let's look at some of the things which could hold you back. We've been through the kind of um, political machinations of the last few years in Chile. We've come through to the other, other side, realisation that tax dollars matter. Um, one of the things you mentioned earlier there was water. Now, that's held a few people up. So you, you talk about being able to use seawater. So tell us more about how you're dealing with that. Have you, are you permitted licensed for that? Ah, oh, exactly. We'll, we'll, we'll come back, but I'll just touch on some of the things that you, you mentioned just then, Matt, which are quite important. Permitting is very important. You can talk about leverage and what your resource book has and what your potential development has, but it's about being able to bring the production online at the right time. Mm. We believe financing around 26 is a very good time for the copper market and bringing production in by the end of the decade when we see potential total production or total supply response, sub 2 million tonnes on a 22 million tonne market that most estimates are, are, are estimating around 7 to 9 million tonnes of additional supply required. So that's a pinch. Uh, that's when prices go parabolic like they did with iron ore and lithium. We want exposure to that um, in and around our financing and we want production actually generating revenue into the early part of what we believe will be a transformation of the copper price. So you can't do that unless you have all of your permitting in place. And one of the key advantages of Hot Chili, and having done this for 15 years um, from when I founded this company, Matt, is that we've spent over a decade on our permitting. And critically, as you said, um, it's very hard to process an ore body without water access. So in the study that we put out, we we had a very, very detailed look at all of the production coming on from all of the developers in the world outside of the majors, plus 40,000 tonne per annum. So meaningful supply. We're not worried about the fringe players with small high grade that aren't going to impact supply. We're talking about the major projects. And so when you look at all of our peers in the Americas dominantly, um, none of them have water permits in place. Uh, and they're in jurisdictions where water is becoming as Ex exogenous risk. Yeah. In Chile, in Chile, for instance, in the Atacama, in the next five to ten years, there will be no extraction of water from the from the from the ground. There will be no terrestrial water coming out of the ground the way that the environmental regulators are going, and the way that the world is going. So, if you lay that over these developments, then what you're talking about is all of these developments require generally high Andean pipelines, large desalination plants which automatically really increase their capital hurdle and also increase their operating costs. Uh, and at Hot Chili, we've been very, very lucky with our ore bodies that they process well with salt water or seawater. Yep. Hence, we spent 10 years in an application process to secure a maritime concession. Two years of that was actually securing the land access on the coast. 
We have all of the easements secured. We have the connection to the central grid um, and a main terminal connection. So we have all of the elements um, in place, as well as the surface rights and tails facilities, etc. And we're ready to submit an EIA next year okay. on what an optimal project will be. But in looking at that, Matt, we looked at the water and said, this is unique. We're not just one of the only major copper developers that's, that has a water license. That's great for us being able to build this mine. But we're in an area of Chile, in a region of Chile, where there's a 15,000 litre per second deficit of demand to supply. Mm -hmm. And we're specifically in the Wasco region where there are no major water utility providers. And we have a very rich environment of undeveloped major projects, not just our project and our partners, iron ore operations, but the major projects of Waver Union sitting above us in the Andes, and indeed all of the Lundin deposits stranded on the border of Argentina and Chile with no water access. Yeah. And that represents a, a very interesting thing for us to look at because uh, I guess we, we, we potentially have a large water utility business sitting within hot Chile. You do. And a 10-year head start. Yeah. And that's what I suppose is, is really telling. We don't have a competitor. If, uh, if uh, another group was to apply for a license, we know how long it takes now. Mm. Um, not many have applied and no one's applied for a new license in this region. So I'm going to say the mechanics. Okay. You decided 10 years ago, for whatever reason, thankfully, to start the process to apply for that license. Okay. And, and, and you've got it now. Now, is that to just transport seawater to you? So because you say you're, you're, you can work with that. Correct. Will others be able to? Or are you talking about desalination, CapEx for a desalination plant? And, you know, therein, you know, maybe you spin it out, maybe you do it yourselves, I don't know. But then you charge everyone else the pleasure for the next 10 years. I don't know how it's going to work yeah, out, yeah. but you're, I'm sure you're going through the phases on that one. But what, what, what are you thinking you're, you're going to do? Look, it's a, it's a, it's a fairly um, easy concept to, to put together. Um, we have a business development team of consultants that will be working on this over the next three months to come back to the board and start producing some harder numbers. Uh -huh. But, you know, we, we, we see a potential 5,000 litre per second market in the Wasco region with no competitor for at least the next 10 years if someone applied for a licence now or an alternate water provider from the north or south bringing a very expensive water pipeline network into this area. So um, it's a great opportunity, but if you wanted to look at uh, the customer base, we would assume that most of them would be desalinated water customer base. Okay. Um, but a, a water utility business is a very different business to the mining sector. These things are funded with 90% debt. Large desalination plants that can provide social social commitment uh -huh. of free water, water, let's say 100 litres a second, those are kind of things that the government and the regional governments are very interested in. Okay. And then also the ability to use our power connection that we've secured from the government to allow for desalination to be powered from the sun. Um, these are very important things in an ESG-focused yeah. world going forward. I bet. That's interesting. That's really, really interesting. Perhaps... We should park it up and maybe come back to that when we've got a bit more data from your consultants. But that feels like a entirely separate, very profitable piece of uh, business. How are you? Yeah, and most importantly, with it uh, it allows water uh, water to be uh, established a lot earlier than hot chili was considering. If we yeah. were to look at it 
as a separate business that could uh, get going early. Okay, people should lean in and pay attention to that, I'm sure. Uh, let's look at some of the other kind of um, items in terms of, as I said to you, the question was, right, we've got to get these pounds out of the ground. What are the other barriers to doing that? Water, got it, tech. What else do you are you concerned about between now and the point you need to get this out of the ground? Look, we have we have most of our EIA that has enjoyed um, nearly a decade of uh, of preparation. Yes, so a lot longer than most people would have done flora and fauna surveys, community baselines, and I, I, I guess a track record of commitment to the community. Okay. And so what that means is we're in a strong position to put our EIA into submission okay. next year. We're just hoping to put in the largest and most optimal project when we do that. But we had a head start of maybe two years above most of our competitors of bringing this project um, into production. And so we're using that time to see if we can upscale. Okay. And if we can upscale, it pushes the, the cash cost into the first quartile. That's, right. a, that's a really healthy place for the economics to be. Okay, so the EI, it, that's important. We've seen gold projects being shut down effectively or at least delayed by a couple of yeah. years for not having their, their books in order, as it were, from, from that regard. Um, with the cost to the, the, the scaling up of this thing, it's a difficult market. Raising money is difficult, right? I know it's copper, so it should be good. It should be easier to raise money, but you've still got to find those people willing to do that. You're a ways away from that. So have you got twin track plan in terms of, we'll go with what we've got, and here's the upscale side of things. Yeah. Correct. Correct. You know, so what's what's plan A? What's plan B? Plan A in a perfect world, our consolidation efforts get the targets that we're looking for within the regional consolidation. Okay. Assets that can be integrated, that have scale, and will instantly give us that platform of 150,000 tonne per annum that we're looking for. Um, and allow us to build a larger concentrator, get a lower processing cost, and therefore push our cost base into the first quartile. Um, that would be plan A. If we aren't able to achieve that, we will be putting in the project that we have at the moment, which is one of only a handful of projects of that scale, and we'll be submitting our EII and expecting around a two-year time frame for approval, which means we'll be positioned very well in 2026 with a financing investment decision, two-year time frame to complete our bankable feasibility, and most importantly, timing that looks very good in the in the copper market um, on a perfect uh, day if everything goes right it means that we could expect a two-year construction time frame at low altitude um, that would be a reasonable assessment and that would be reasonable to say that we could be in production with this large new copper hub um, in 2028 and i think that in every meeting I, I i go to i also put a bit of reality on that and nearly every project going through development, construction, into production, will experience time delays that are unforeseen. And so we always qualify that with, we would like to see it in production in 28, but it is most likely it will be 29 or 30. It certainly will be in production before the end of the decade. But when there's only two or three projects of this scale that are possible to be brought into production by the end of the decade, mm. I don't think we will be competing against many for project financing at that point in time. Okay. And we come back and finish off with the kind of, the kind of um, corporate structure, if, if you don't mind. You've got Glencore in there, trader, world's biggest trader. Uh, came in early, setting at, what, 9.9? Correct. Like that, right? Yeah. You've got Cisco royalties. I'm not quite sure of the construction of, of that agreement. What do, what do they get, remind me? 
Uh, about 1.1% royalty across our payable metals. Right. Okay. Okay, fine. Um, we've had conversations with groups who have been trotting around the world and we're having lots of more conversations about OEMs, car manufacturers, battery manufacturers moving upstream. Yes. They need to. They want security over supply for 2020, from 2025 onwards, 20, 2030 most definitely. Yeah. Um, and it's not something they would have countenanced three years ago, pre-COVID, for sure. Um, but the world's changed yeah. in terms of just-in-time to inventory-led, uh, in terms of the demand numbers going off the scale way further than and like most analysts could have um, predicted, certainly in the battery metals, the yeah. green metals. Um, do you th is there room for you to have discussions like this? We've heard conversations about guys in Asia and in Europe saying, right, I need all of this. I need everything you've got. So it's a much more it's a much more uh, seller's market than buyer's market now. It feels that way. Have you got room for that? Yeah, look, it definitely feels that way. Um, we we had not uh, received interest from OEMs, um, but that those, those kind of uh, levels of discussion and interests are coming now, um, which is surprising. I didn't think that that would come this early in a development phase. Uh, so we'll be we'll be certainly entertaining those discussions. Um, always interesting to talk to car manufacturers, kind of like going to the supermarket, people not knowing where their food came from, and and now a, a generational change. The um, the car manufacturers are really wanting to know where yeah. these critical metals are going to come from. More probably when. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we we are very focused on our traditional um, optionality that we have. We have obviously offtake rights available. The Glencore. Uh, offtake agreement that we have is only on 60% of our offtake just for the first eight years at benchmark okay. terms. So we've lost, uh, left a lot of op optionality there for, um, for offtake funding. And we specifically did a very small royalty for the funding now for the next 18 months to retain our streaming ability with our precious metals. We have a significant amount of gold production as a credit in this project. So, so we have significant, um, funding optionality on the equity side. Uh, and then we have this this interesting concept that we're looking at on just what a water utility business might represent to hot chili. I mean, it's entirely possible uh, when you run the numbers, they are a bit ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but when you run the numbers, you, you potentially have hot chili not having to issue any equity to build this project. Well, and that's a, yeah. that's a pretty um I'm saying numbers feat. in my head when you're talking and it, feel, it kind of feels like this is the best example of alternative financing I've heard this week. Yeah, I mean, to, to be very honest, we, we, our minds really got, got moving when we looked at the structure of the Cisco group and how clever the Cisco guys were to turn a discovery into a fantastic royalty on what's now the largest gold mine in, in Canada that has generated a huge cash flow into the Cisco group and allowed them to create multiple companies from that one asset. Um, the story in Australia is very similar. The the original Macquarie coin, we ran out of currency. We didn't have enough, and Governor Macquarie just punched a hole in the same coin and, and doubled the amount of currency available. So that concept is not not new, um, but it's something that Hot Chili is very much looking to emulate. Good man, appreciate Good man. appreciate the updates. And it's like it's moving forward. The growth component is still there. That's what we want to hear. Yeah, well, it's exciting times. Good man, thank you.